I love to partner this alongside a Bach invention or something like that, right? Where we often have our students who are hopefully <laughs> can take the coordination of playing these inventions or these, you know, contrapuntal pieces. And then that second element of, okay, now let's make more music, music out of it by changing the articulations. I find that when I partner some of this music, um, pair, I should say, pair this music with a black composer or something from the standard teaching repertoire. Oh my goodness, it, it just, it really brings to life and it just creates this holistic picture of what we're trying to accomplish. Hi, I'm Ben Capelo and welcome to All Keyed Up. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I spoke with Leah Claiborne. Leah Claiborne, DMA, promotes diversity in the arts by championing piano music by Black composers in her performances, research, and teaching. In 2019, Leah was a prize winner in the Pro Musicus International Music Competition and has continued to be a sought-after performer, clinician, and educator. Leah has performed across the United States as well as Germany, Italy, and the Czech Republic. Most recently, she performed at Hiroshima University in Japan with the Asia America New Music Ensemble. Dr. Claiborne currently teaches at the University of the District of Columbia, where she serves as coordinator of keyboard studies and teaches the history of African American music. In this episode, she talked about her scholarship on pedagogical piano music by Black composers. She went through some specific pieces by Black composers, and she talked about how teachers might effectively use these pieces in their studios. She also talked about strategies for creating a diverse studio. In the show notes, I included links to all of the pieces she spoke about. I hope you enjoy. Leah, thanks so much for joining us today. Of course, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Today we're going to talk about how some of our listeners can diversify their piano studios. So first, I want to talk about kind of the most obvious way to do that, which is repertoire, um, and specifically piano music by Black composers, which you've focused a lot on in your scholarship. Uh, so there are many piano teachers, uh, white piano teachers, who have this attitude, I think, of like, I'm not qualified to teach this. I'm not an authentic voice on the subject. And thankfully, you've push back against this attitude, which at least in my opinion is kind of lazy and a cop out. But then on the opposite end, there's, in my opinion, the equally lazy attitude, which is just kind of picking the first piece you can find and just throwing it on any student and not really thinking it through. So how do you advise that teachers engage with this repertoire so they are actually in a position where they can use this music successfully in their studios? Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, you know, I, I've been doing, you know, many different panels and webinars and um, it's always a question that comes up at the very end. So I'm, I'm sharing all this different repertoire, all this different literature that I'm really passionate about. And then it's like, I, I'm this inflated balloon. I'm super, you know, on this high. And then I get that question and it feels like everything's kind of oh, no. <laughs> out, you know, like, oh, but it, I'm so, you know, I've been so grateful, honestly, to, to, to keep having that question because it's something I never thought about, that someone would not feel like, oh, I'm not qualified to teach this repertoire. Um, and at first I was always, I always said, yes, you are qualified. Of course you are. You know, and I, now I'm, I'm not too sure. <laughs> and what I've said recently is that I don't know if you are qualified, right? Just like, I don't know if you're qualified to teach Bach. I don't know if you're qualified to teach a Beethoven sonata. So what makes a teacher qualified? It's your own homework of the composer of the piece historically, right? Mm -hmm. So I always say to every teacher, 
you have to do your own homework with these pieces, just like you would a Bach suite, just like exactly. you would a Beethoven sonata, right? My thing is always, I always like to look at the pedagogical benefit or just the music itself. What is the student going to gain from the music? And how are you going to approach that and share that with the student? The, the icing on the cake is that it just so happened to be by a Black composer, right? For me, that's, that's honestly not the forefront of it. So if you are qualified to teach, if you're qualified to teach great music, which absolutely this is, then that means that you've done your own homework in all sorts of levels. And then you're going to be more uh, prepared to successfully teach that to the student. Yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, there would never be a piano teacher who would teach, as you say, a work by Bach, Beethoven, and just find something quick on Google and just give it to the student and be like, I don't know who Beethoven is. But, right. but we would do that all the time with Black composers. Exactly, exactly. You just have to do, you have to do your research. And there's so much, there's so much information out there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I always tell teachers too, you don't need a PhD or a DMA for this, or, you know, even a master's in music. I feel like if we all put on the hat of we're all scholars, we're all activists, we're all trying to move the envelope forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's what it's going to take. Right. And you mentioned earlier that there are a lot of resources out there. I mean, I do think a lot of these resources come from you. Um, and that's sort of what I'd like to talk through today sure. and talk about some of the specific composers and works that you've focused a lot on in your scholarship. Um, sure. So first, I want to talk about pieces for beginners. Mm -hmm. You mentioned in different things I've read from you, starting early um, with introducing music by Black composers as one of your top 10 suggestions for diversifying your studio. Um, so can you give some examples of some of your favorite works for beginning students by Black composers and also talk about why it's so important that we don't wait until the student becomes more advanced to use these pieces that we do it right from the get-go? Yeah, let me start with that question first. So the reason I started with my research um, was because I I went through like 20 plus years, right, in classical music and I had never played a piece by a Black composer. So oh, I went really? through my undergrad, I went through wow. most of my masters as well. Um, and then when I started thinking about my DMA research, I wasn't sure where I wanted to go with that. Um, and then I started, when I started approaching, trying to understand what is out there by Black composers, um, it wasn't just I wanted to create a catalog of music by Black composers. I specifically wanted to look at how can we change this field of teaching so that at the earliest levels, right, at the earliest levels, there is already an understanding and an expectation, right, that music that we're teaching our students should be diverse. Right. Um, so that that was pretty much my approach going forward. Um, there are a lot of different uh, repertoire um, specifically for advanced students, even, you know, some of the most famous um, method books, um, um, just different series out there. But it's not until the very last levels that sometimes one or two pieces by a black composer um, would be introduced, right? Um, so that's why I really wanted to gravitate to what is out there for our young, young beginners. So one of my favorite uh, go-to, um, and I also wanna preface this, young beginners is not just five and six year olds, right? <laughs> it can also be anyone coming to the, to the piano at any point in time in their studies, right? So one of my go-to pieces, and I even use this for my college students for reading material, um, is Florence Price's Teaching Pieces. Um, she has two fantastic volumes. Um, um, and 
The beautiful thing with that is you can teach these pieces by rote if you're a teacher who likes to do that. You can also use these teachers for just really basic understanding of note recognition on the staff and basic coordination with the hands, right? That's what we want our students to be able to understand and feel familiar with. Um, so I, those are absolutely my go-to um, pieces. Also, perhaps the late, late beginner, early intermediate, um, a really fantastic collection um, by Ignatius Sancho, um, the 12 country dances for the year 1779. I think I got that uh, right. And why I love those pieces, for me, my students often have a challenge getting excited about early classical um, or even Baroque literature. Uh, and this is such a fantastic collection that creates that sound. It creates that understanding of the stylistic way of playing, but an incredible amount of history by this black composer. Um, so these are all, again, I'm always thinking about the pedagogical element first and just the, the icing on the cake, the cherry on top is that it so happens to be by a black composer. Hmm. Yeah, I love the Florence play, uh, Florence mm -hmm. Price uh, pieces that you mentioned. Uh, if To everyone listening, if they're a member of a clavier companion, there's mm -hmm. a webinar you gave where you talked about different pieces by black composers and you focused a little bit on those Florence uh, Price teaching pieces. And there's these videos of you playing them, talking about the pedagogical benefits. I'm definitely going to uh, link to that in the show notes. Um, as well as all the resources that you talk about today, because these are great pieces with great pedagogical benefits, as yes. you're saying. Um, so now going to kind of more intermediate advanced pieces, which you sure. touched on a little bit in this interview. You've said this already, but you do mm -hmm. such a good job um, in all of the things that I've read from you of talking about why these pieces are musically beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, and you also have talked about how teachers who have their sort of method books that they tend to use or their traditional classical pieces that they tend to use, that these works we're describing today can fit into a curriculum with that. It's not like it has to be one or the other. So can you give an example of an intermediate or advanced piece by a Black composer and talk about how the musical concepts explored in those pieces could be used alongside more standard classical canon works? Sure, sure. So um, one really great example would be Valerie Caper's Portraits in Jazz. That entire collection is wonderful. Um, if you don't have it, you just go out and buy it now because <laughs> uh -huh. it's, it's a lot of fun. And students, oh my goodness, they just love, they love learning those. So this is, you know, anywhere from, you know, our, our inter early intermediate, late intermediate uh, student. So um, let me think of one. For instance, I, it might be the first one, I can't remember or, the order, but Ella Scat's The Little Lamb, right? So in this entire collection, Valerie Capers um, is creating a, a collection really with the classical piano teacher in mind, right? She's creating a musical language, the jazz language, right? And giving the tools to the teacher and student with understanding how to start playing in this style. So. She takes 12 giants, these great uh, jazz artists, right? Um, and she is creating short piano pieces to portray the style of these great jazz artists. So as we know, Ella Fitzgerald, she's really known for scatting, right? Um, and in her uh, Ella Scats the Little Lamb, she's taking the melody of Mary Had a Little Lamb, yet it's it has this element of scatting to it. So not only um, are there 
you know, different rhythmic syncopation, but more so it's how she notates all of these different type of articulations, these slurred notes, these uh, staccato notes, these tenuto notes, these accented notes, often um, on the weak beats, right? And what I often do with my students when we approach this piece, I love to partner this alongside a Bach invention or something like that, right? Where we often have our students who are hopefully can take the coordination of playing these inventions or these, you know, contrapuntal pieces. And then that second element of, okay, now let's make more music, music out of it by changing the articulations. I find that when I partner some of this music, um, pair, I should say, pair this music with a black composer or something from this standard teaching repertoire. Oh my goodness. It, it just, it really brings to life and it just creates this holistic picture of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and what I've also found is that there's a better, a, almost a quicker understanding, if you will, because we've had fun. <laughs> we've had fun with Ella Scott's The Little Lamb. And then once that is fun for the student, then they're able to take the, those tools and apply it to other repertoire as well. I think that would also be a fun way if you have a student, I mean, I at least have a lot of students like this who are really good singers in addition to piano. And I'm always thinking yes. how to like play to their strengths. And this Ella Scott's The Little Lamb would be a great way to talk to them about, to incorporate their vocal interests um, exactly. in addition to piano interests. And I totally feel this point you're talking about, about how like a lot of teachers, including ones who've been on this podcast, have talked about sequencing leading to the fact that Bach has not as much articulations written into it. And so what you want to proceed it with is a piece that gives you all of the articulation. So then you're kind of prepared to go with Bach. And um, I had another guest on this podcast talk about microcosmos as one way to do that. And that's fine. But Sure. Uh, so nothing wrong with that. But I think for a lot of our listeners here who are thinking about how to lead students into a piece like Bach, I mean, why not use Valerie Capers, the portraits in jazz that you're describing, especially since the articulations are really tied to um, scatting. I mean, there's so much great work there on articulation. Absolutely. And that's something we, I mean, if, if you're willing to kind of go out of your own box, um, I mean, I scat with my students when we teach this, right? We come up with actual words or like syllables. I'm trying to think in my head about what that would look like if I tried to do that in my yeah, I mean, picturing I, this I'm scenario. Not <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at it either, right? And I think that's what makes it okay, right? We're, we're, we're you know, expanding our, our language or expanding our musical abilities. Um, and because we do that in the Ella Scats of the Little Lamb, just creating different syllables for each note, um, the moment the student's able to internalize something, right, then they're able to, right. to be able to do it on the piano. And then you just put that on any other piece, whether it's a Bach, Brahms, or anything, right? We have to be able to sing it or vocalize it first, I feel, before you can try to do it on the piano. Yeah, and it prepares them for the vocal quality of a lot of other classical composers that they might study, like Chopin or in some Absolutely. cases Bach, where you can think about the line that you're playing on the piano vocally. And I think that this piece you're describing totally works for that. Um, so of course, today, we don't have time to go comprehensively through all of the uh, piano repertoire out there by Black composers. So is there any resource you could direct our listeners to that kind of outlines a, a broader catalog of works, what could be like a springboard for our listeners to start doing some of their own research that you were saying people should do? Uh, earlier in this interview? Yeah. So, you know, what I always recommend um, is a collection by um, William Chapman Yaho, mm -hmm. um, which is, which I want to get the title right, Piano Music by the African Diaspora. Um, diaspora. And there's 
four, there's either four or five volumes. I can't remember. What I always tell teachers, this is a really good starting place, right? It's a good starting place because even if you don't use all of the music in there, you might hear one piece. Oh, I'm sure you'll hear more than one piece, but you might hear, you know, a collection of pieces, right, by a composer. And then what I always tell people, look to see what other pieces by that composer is out there, right? So what I what I feel is that sometimes teachers just want a quick fix. Right. They want the hard copy and be done with it. No, when you see a composer that you don't like, that you don't know. Um, and they're a black composer, look to see what other pieces are out there. That's what we would do with anyone else, right? So you just have to do your own, I keep saying you have to do your own homework. Right. You don't need um, you know, any special degree to do this. There's so much information out there. So I would say you know, that's a fantastic collection to start with. Um, another great collection is um, um, piano pieces by black female composers. Um, this is by Hildegard Publishing. Um, another really wonderful collection. Um, and again, I would say 90% of that, those pieces in there have by composers who have other pieces for piano as well. So all of these anthologies, they're absolutely wonderful resources and use that, I love the, what you said, use that as a springboard um, to research other pieces. Yeah, I'll definitely include a link to the William Chapman Yahoo anthologies in the show notes. Also, I was saying earlier, if you're a member of Clavier Companion, um, I watched a really great webinar that you did with a panel. It wasn't just you and William Chapman Yahoo, it was a few people, but it included you two and you spoke a bit about this um, yes. anthology and it, it's a great uh, yeah, springboard for teachers to do their own research. Um, so I'd like to turn now to a slightly maybe more contentious topic and talk yeah. about some music by white composers. So okay. there's many pieces that are kind of very standard repertoire in today's piano studios that are frankly kind of problematic. I mean, you've spoken about Gollywog's Cakewalk by Debussy. There's also a very large number of method book pieces, at least that I've encountered, that are like using Native American stereotypes. Um, so the on a purely like pianistic musical level, there are obvious advantages to them. But conceptually, they are a bit problematic. How do you advise teachers deal with pieces like these? And do you have any suggestions of possible substitutions? Yes. Yeah, so I, I want to preface this by saying this, this is a conversation that I realize, um, like a lot of my colleagues who are, who are doing this, the same type of work, right? We, we don't always agree with this topic. <laughs> so there's, there's some, there's some, some of us who feel just skip it, right? There's enough music out there um, mm -hmm. where you, you don't have to do it. Um, some colleagues feel, no, you should teach it and use that as a moment to explain, um, you know, just the ugliness in, in our history, in, in American history, right? Um, some colleagues say teach it and then partner, you know, pair it with uh, another piece by a Black composer, right? Um, I, I don't think any of it is wrong. I don't think any of this wrong. What I do feel would be wrong um, is to teach it and not have a conversation yeah. about it, right? Um, what, what I personally do with method books, um, method, for me, method books, if we're talking about fifths, right, in the left hand, there are so many other right. pieces that you yeah. can choose right. from, right? Exactly, yeah. There, there's never a point in a method book, and I'm sure most teachers don't just only teach from a method book, right? Mm -hmm. 
um, they're, they're always looking for supplemental material. Um, and along with that, so what I, what I choose to do, because some of my students will say, hey, why, why aren't we doing this piece? And I think I open that as a conversation with the parent as well, mm -hmm. right? I talk about the history of classical music often being, you know, at least portrayed by only having white dead composers, right? And unfortunately, with a lot of the publications right now, there's still kind of this mindset. Um, and it, a lot of times there are these racial stereotypes that we see. Um, and for me, I mean, I, I don't want to continue that, right? That's the whole point of my scholarship. Um, so I have that conversation, um, uh, but I'm also prepared and I have the tools to supplement pieces that are also going to give the same benefit, probably even better if, I, if I'm being honest. Um, and then that's also an opportunity for them to learn about another composer um, with a different background, right? So I don't know if there's, there's many ways that you can handle that. Um, I think the only wrong thing would be to continue to teach it, honestly. Right, right. Um, no, I completely feel that point, especially when we're talking about the early beginner pieces. I mean, a lot of different method books have similar sequencing and there are similar concepts that they go through. So the idea that like this one Native American song is so uniquely fine tuned that there can't that there's nothing else out there that we could be using on these students feels a bit lazy. Like it, ab it absolutely is. I mean, and I mean, I a lot of times I have my students try to, you know, come up with their own compositions, right? If That's we're talking cool. about fifths or if we're talking about, you know, staccato notes, I mean, just give them a few guidelines and say, hey, you're going to turn into the composer and you're going to name this piece. And you can, you know, give them accountability and some tools to do that as well. So, I mean, there's just so many, there's so many options. Yeah. And, and to act like as if you're trapped, like I need to teach this kid staccato and what am I going to do besides right. use this Native American piece? Like, Come on out. Um, exactly. Exactly. Right. And it's, and it's not even Native American, right? It, it's, mm -hmm. you know, being created by, you know, generally white, of, yeah, white people, white mm -hmm. publishing, mm -hmm. um, which honestly, that, that makes it a, a bit Worse. It right. Worse. <laughs> yep. Um, okay. So now switching gears out of repertoire a little bit, I want to talk about not just the diversity of the repertoire that we use, but also the diversity of the students we teach. Um, you've put a lot of effort into making your studio is that, that to making sure that your studio isn't socioeconomically or racially homogenous. And I understand that you've been doing this ever since even graduate school. Um, can you talk about some of what you've done to diversify the students you work with? And do you have any suggestions for our listeners who have similar goals? Sure. Yeah. So I, I want to start by saying we, we all know piano is it's an expensive instrument, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a luxury to be able to have a fine instrument in your home, right? And if we are demanding that our students have grand pianos, right? We're also limiting who is going to be able to study this instrument, right? So with that, with that being said, what what I like to do, um, I I always tell my 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 colleagues, it's always good to take inventory of your studio. What does your studio look like? Is it the same type of families coming in? And why is that? Does that mean that you're only looking for a specific type of demographic? And sometimes we're not even aware of that, right? So first, just do your own, you know, just open up. <laughs> look, look at what seems to keep coming in your doors. 
And oftentimes it is the same type of family, whether it's, you know, um, the same, the same race is coming in, the same ethnicity or um, just the same class, right? Um, what I often tell people, what I tell my colleagues to do is when you start understanding who is who the same type of person coming into your door, figure out ways to start branching out to welcome new people, okay? So that, I mean, that can easily just be looking at neighborhoods that are different from the one you live in or looking at different neighborhoods from the ones that you're, the most majority of your students are coming from, right? Looking at different schools um, that, I mean, often most places in America, unfortunately are still, it's quite segregated, right? And the school systems often showcase that. Um, and then, so you see, okay, I, I understand there's a different population you know, maybe five miles over, then what do you do? I really want to tell people there needs to be a very uh, sincere balance of how you go about um, opening and welcoming, right? Because you don't want to do like the white savior type of thing. Exactly, exactly. And so what I often tell people is build a relationship first before you even offer anything, right? Mm -hmm. So that could be going into a school system and saying, hey, can I put on a, a program for your music students? Maybe just a 30 minute, you know, this is the piano, this is some music, right? And build a relationship first. And then once you have that trust in that community that is not yours, then you will be on better footing to start extending um, more if it's wanted, right? Um, so I always say, I, I love building community uh, relationships. I call it community relationships, partnerships. Some people call it outreach, uh, community engagement. But I think that's the way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, not everyone is going to have the means, right? The money um, to, to take lessons. Um, what I often do in my studio sometimes, and it's completely anonymous, no one needs to know who it is, but I provide scholarships for some of my students, right? And this is just an understanding of um, perhaps this family doesn't have the means to, to make 100% of the monthly payment, um, but they have great promise. So why should I be the one to stunt their own progress and their development in piano studies? If they want to do this, they're a promising student. We have to be able to be a little bit more gracious. It's a business, yes, but we have to have some grace behind that. Absolutely. I love that suggestion you made earlier about rather than immediately going to these schools or communities and from the get go thrusting piano lessons on them, build a relationship first. Um, I've seen you in the past also talk about uh, like black churches as one possible area to recruit new students. So maybe there could be a scenario where you ask the church if they need an accompanist or something or if they have any classes you could and then after you've done that for a little bit, then you could be like, hey, anyone, I, I offer scholarships for piano lessons rather than doing it that way right from the get-go. Exactly. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i a Black person and that was my route <laughs> of doing it, right? Because I wanted to be genuine. I wanted to be about a relationship that would continue, right? Um, so definitely I, I would suggest if any, if you're going into a community that is not your own, um, you don't live there, then I would feel these are absolutely the steps um, to take. Absolutely. Um, okay, so taking a, a step back a little bit, sure. um, I want to talk about kind of the field of pe keyboard pedagogy kind of as a whole. You are about as active in this field as anyone could be. I mean, you've 
published oh. in many places. I know you work for the Francis Clark Center. I mean, you are in the field. Uh, how do you sort of assess the state of the field of piano pedagogy today with regard to equity in- and inclusion? Are there kind of any specific individuals or organizations that you feel like are really helping push our field in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's an exciting time. I use that tentatively. (laughs) It's an exciting time because there's a lot of conversation happening about this, right? So that's what's exciting about it. Um, You know, my my husband, he's the composer as well. And, you know, I'm I'm a black, he's a black composer. I'm a black pianist teacher. Congratulations to him. I read he recently got a big Kennedy Center. um, Oh, yes. He's the composer in residence at the Kennedy. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and, you know, honestly, a fear that we we have, and I talked to the other colleagues about that, is that we fear that it's just a trend, right? That there's just all of a sudden now they're because of the country, because there's been a spotlight, I should say, um, on the, the racial injustice that now people are, you know, starting to come around to say, how can we implement more equity within all areas, um, which they should, right? But to be fair, there have been so many scholars well before me, decades before me, you know, hundreds of years before me that created resources for the piano pedagogy field, right? And it's just now that people are starting to say, hey, maybe I should think about diversifying piano literature, right? So yes, it's a, it's an exciting time. Um, and my hope is that it, it only continues moving forward from here. I'll say, um, you had mentioned um, my work with the Francis Clark Center. Um, the Francis Clark Center, oh my goodness, they, they're just doing so much for creating platforms um, for many, many different people, right? Um, and I would say really, they, they really are championing equality not just in black for black composers, Latin American composers, women composers, right? They're constantly and constantly sharing materials, resources, uh, and platforms for teachers to help starting for, for helping them to start uh, expand their literature um, and giving them the tools and resources to do so. Um, we already talked about uh, William Niaho Chapman. Um, sorry, William Chapman Niaho. I just call him Niaho. He's fantastic. Um, he's another pillar who has who has been doing the work um, for so for so so long. Um, so th- this is nothing new. That's all I'm saying. It's nothing new. It's been out there. Um, it's just the industry has decided now that it's the time, um, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm just hoping that it only continues going forward from there. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of what I read when there was that Flint water crisis um, a while back where there was a a few years when that's all everyone talked about and it was an outpouring of resources and then the problem was still there and then everyone kind of just moved on to the next thing. And so I hope that that doesn't happen in the field of piano pedagogy and I'd hope our listeners, and this is also something I, you know, wanting for myself is that this is really a lifelong project and it's not just a reaction to what you read in the news. Exactly. I mean, I, I always tell, you know, my, my white colleagues at the end of the day, you know, when the news is off, I'm still black, right? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I'm still black and I'm still going to be dealing with, with the same struggles. Um, so it, it takes all of us coming together to, to change this. Okay. Before we go, do you have any other advice for our listeners on diversifying their studios? 
Um, any other advice? I would just say keep keep doing the homework, right? It's going to take all of us to make real change. Um, and I also, I'm very much with the understanding of knowing that one person can only do so much, right? 10 people can only do so much, but every state could do a lot, right? Every piano studio could do a lot. And the reason why pedagogy, especially for the young pianist is so important for me because we're giving our, the next generation the tools to carry on the work that we're doing, right? So it doesn't stop with us. Um, I'm hoping that a lot of changes happen in my lifetime, but I'm also more deeply concerned with the students who I'm teaching, who's going to be carrying on this work, that they also have the tools to keep it going forward. And I think starting from the get-go, when they're the youngest beginners with introducing a diverse curriculum can help ensure that they continue the work you're doing when they, maybe if they eventually become teachers. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, before we go, what you're up to now and how everyone listening can learn more about you? Sure. What am I up to now? Um, goodness. I mean, most immediately, I'm, I'm trying to get my students to finish their finals. Uh-oh. <laughs> the District of Columbia. Oh, no. Um, but yeah, what, you know, one thing that's, that's recent, um, I'll, what I'm really, really excited about is the MTNA Music Teachers National Association. Um, they're, they're also doing, they're doing really great work with di diversifying, um, creating DEI work throughout all areas of their um um, of their organization. And um, starting, I guess, with August, I'll be creating a new column for the American Music Teachers Journal, um, which is specifically geared towards um, diversity, diver diversifying the field. Um, so we'll, I'll be creating columns regarding piano literature um, that's going to come out in their issues, listening, um, listening assignments for teachers, um, just different recordings that are out there. Um, giving tools, teaching tips for teachers. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to, to starting this, this, this new area within the uh, AMT. Well, I think all of what we're talking about today is kind of a lifelong, somewhat challenging process for teachers to go through, but it's so important. And I think we should all be thankful that there are so many people such as yourself who are doing so much great work in this field and making it a little bit more manageable and accessible for the rest of us. So thanks so much for everything you do. And thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it. It was fun. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time. If you have any feedback about the episode you just heard or suggestions in general for the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me through the contact page at www.bencapolo.com. Thanks again.